Good evening. So many, so good to see so many of you here tonight. Welcome to Sunday night service. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Michael and I help to give leadership to this service. And as Rachel mentioned, we've been looking for the last six weeks that we're going to finish tonight thinking about our identity and who we are. And we've been thinking about this because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, that means a lot more than just what happens to you when you die. Now, it means things for that too, but it changes the core of who we are even now on this earth. And so we've dived into the New Testament and, and some of the passages that talks about what does it mean that we are a child of God? That he's made us to be a new creation in Christ. That we are a royal priesthood. And we're going to finish that series tonight thinking about this idea. What does it mean that because of what Jesus has done for us, we are now called, excuse me, called the temple of God. It's an amazing truth that we're going to dive into this evening. Well, one of the things, if you got to know me much, one of the things that you know that I love to do is I love to travel. I love to travel. And a few years ago, it was probably five or so years ago, our senior pastor at the time, Pastor Lutzer, asked me and my wife if we would go with him on one of his tours that he led in Israel as bus hosts. I had to pray about it for about two seconds, and then I said yes. Right? And it was amazing, actually, my qualifications. You say, what does a bus host do? Well, basically, I count to make sure the people are on the bus, and I give them candy. It's a lot like being a youth pastor, it feels like, at times, right? Is, are all the kids here? Here's some candy. Be quiet. Right? No, I'm just kidding, right? But so I, I quickly said yes, and we got to fly in to, to Israel, and we, we drove in, and then we took a bus, and we were up kind of along the Mediterranean Sea, and we went up north in Israel to the Sea of Galilee, just a beautiful area. We went down to the famous Dead Sea where you can, yes, you can float in it even if you can't float in hardly anything else. It's hard actually to stand. Floated in that. And then we had been in Israel, I think, for well over a week before we then came into Jerusalem. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, it's an amazing place. Because even to this day, with all of the other buildings, with the modern city off on one side, your eyes are always drawn to the Temple Mount. The whole city is built around at the top, and of course now we know that it's on the top of it is the Dome of the Rock, and there's a lot of controversy over who gets to build what where. But even now, your eyes are always drawn at the prominence and the significance that it had in, in every skyline, wherever you are, that orients yourself in Jerusalem. If you rewind 2,000 years ago, the temple wasn't just the building that was astronomically bigger than everything else in Jerusalem, but it was the place in which all of your life oriented around. Everything revolved around going to the temple, worshiping at the temple, meeting people at the temple. Your entire life would have revolved around worshiping at the temple of God. And even the religions of that day, out in other places, they also would have had temples that would have been the main places of their worship as well. And we're going to look tonight at some of the tracing history of what the temple was throughout not just the Old Testament, but from the very beginning of the Bible to the end. And this profound significance that in Jesus, you and I are now called to be the temple of God. So if you would open your Bibles with me tonight, we're going to be in a few different passages. Um, we're going to start tonight in Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2. And tonight we're, we're going to be, and like I said, in a few different places. There's sermon notes for you in the handout you received with the, the three main texts we'll be in. And those texts will also be on the screen tonight. And as we think about what it means to be the temple of God, three, three causes, three things that we need to focus on, three impacts it has on our life. The first is this, is that being the temple of God means that we are to be built on a solid foundation. That we both collectively gathered as the body of Christ, the church, as well as our individual lives are to be built on a solid foundation. In two of the three main passages in the New Testament that talk about us being the temple of God, two of them start with this idea of the foundation that the building which is the temple is built on. First, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 and 20 say this. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens. He's talking here to Gentiles. They're no longer outside the family of God, but now they are brought into full inclusion, into worship and all that God has. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. When Paul uses this phrase in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, what he's thinking of there is is the authoritative teaching that the apostles and prophets displayed that was given and passed down by Jesus directly to them. We're like, well, I don't know an apostle or prophet. What is that authoritative teaching that they passed on? Well, it's the thing that we call our New Testament. The New Testament is that authoritative teaching that the apostles and the prophets had passed down. And the cornerstone, the piece that held it all together, the piece of which the whole building was wrapped around this one stone that if it was taken out, everything else would collapse, is who? It's Jesus. Christ Jesus, the Messiah himself, being the cornerstone that holds everything together. The other passage that talks about this foundation of the temple is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, says this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is... Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been the foundation of the faith of this church in Corinth and people will build upon it but no one can replace the foundation which is Jesus. He says this in verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Both of these passages, which will then go into the next part, talking about the church now being the temple of God, start with this idea of the foundation on which the building is built. That the foundation must be affirmed before we look at the top and see what is to come. It's the foundation that matters most. See, I don't know about you, but, but I was surprised a few years ago the first time I bought a house. 
See, I thought you bought a house and then you like did some paperwork and you signed it. I didn't realize like everything else that came with it. And one of the things when you buy a house is you bring in this guy who's called a home inspector. Literally, they have the, the craziest job in the world. Their job is to go into houses and to find every single thing wrong in the entire house. Right? Like it's humiliating for the person who owns the house. I can't wait one day to come into mine and tell me everything wrong with where I've been living. They get super detailed. And one of the things that they do, if you've ever had a home inspection, either on your home or you've gone with a home inspector, is they look at everything, all the appliances, the walls, all this stuff. And then they go down into the basement of the house or to the main level of the house and they start getting real close and they look at the foundation on which the house is built. See, when you drive by a house from the exterior, it can look like a really nice house. It could look fancy. You could go into a house and it's got a really nice kitchen, big screen TV. It's got all these nice things. But we all know that if a really nice house is built on a bad foundation, it's going to not work well, right? It's going to break down. It's eventually going to collapse. And we see the top, we see the exterior, but what matters most, all of that can be replaced. Everything could be replaced except for the foundation. And if the foundation is not solid, then everything else around it falls apart. See, without a solid foundation, it's a matter of when, not if, things will fall apart. Without a solid foundation, not just on our house, but without a solid foundation in our lives, it's a matter of when, not if, things start to fall apart. About 10 years ago, down in South Texas, they were building this tower that was called Ocean Tower on South Padre Island. Now, I have never been to this area, but apparently it's a very nice area that people love to vacation to. And they, they were building this tower called Ocean Tower. It was 31 stories high, and it was supposed to be this life of luxury out on the Gulf Coast. Luxurious condos starting at a small sum of $2 million apiece, 150 units. And they built this thing to be beautiful and have all the best features. And they had built it to the length and were starting to install some of the fine trimmings and things on it when suddenly the building started to shift. And they started to look at the foundation and in parts of the building, it actually had sunk 14 inches into the ground. The contractors called everyone who had bought them and said, no, don't worry, we're gonna fix this. We're gonna fix this. We're gonna fix this. Till finally they were like, can't fix this. We can't fix this. Until they had a big tourist event on South Padre Island when they did this. See, it doesn't matter how nice everything else looks. If the foundation isn't there, it will fall apart. For us collectively gathered together as the church, the church's foundation is to be Jesus Christ alone. The foundation on which everything we do is Jesus Christ alone. Everything. 
And if as a church we get away from Jesus as the foundation for everything we do, for life, for ministry, for how we interact with each other, for how we worship, from what we sing, to what we study, to what we talk about, to what we preach, if we get away from that, it's a matter of when, not if, our church starts to fall apart. See, sometimes at church, we, we love to, to talk about the things that, that don't really matter, the kind of the, the, the exterior, the top things. We talk about maybe how a song sounds or if it's new, or we talk about this or that. But the most important thing about gathering together as a church is that Jesus is the foundation of everything we do here. And feel free as a pastor, I love to hear your questions and concerns. But if we ever feel like, Jesus is not the center of our church, please come tell me. Because we would want to know. Because we want Jesus to be at the foundation of everything we do. As a church, we don't exist to have our own clever things, but we're here to do what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus is to be the foundation for the church. But not only that, Jesus is to be the foundation of each and every one of our lives. Jesus' teaching, his word, his life, his spirit that he has given into each and every Christian is to be the foundation for our lives. One of the most amazing passages of scripture is Matthew's chapter 5 to 7. And Jesus gives what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Literally, he's on a mountain and he's giving a sermon. It's a really genius title. And at the end of it, which is the longest teaching that we have of Jesus, he closes the sermon with this story, with this illustration. He said, anyone who hears these words but does not put them into practice is like a person who built their house on the sand. And when the wind came and when the storms blew, that house came crashing down. But... Anyone who hears the words that I say and builds their life on the rock, who does them, their life is built on the rock. And when the rain comes and the wind blows and the push against it, that house will stand. Why? Because of its foundation on what it's built upon. See, the things that come into our lives show the foundation of our lives. It's easy for us to to think our lives are built on Jesus, but how do we react when difficulty comes, when problems arise, when trouble hits? See, it's in the nice weather, in the easy times of life, it's easy to say Jesus is the foundation of my life. Everything I do is for him, for his glory, for, to bring him fame. It's not for me. And then suddenly sometimes when someone dies, when a job gets lost, when disappointment comes, suddenly it's all about us. And we realize as the storms of life hit us that our foundation has been built on something other than Jesus, on our wants, our desires, the things we want for our lives. I just want to warn you tonight, if your life is built on what you want, it's a matter of when, not if, things will start to fall apart. But if you build your life on Jesus, and he is the foundation for everything you do, and those storms hit, and the hard things come at you as they do to all of us, your life will last. It'll persevere through the storms because your life is built on that solid foundation. The second characteristic of what it means for us to be the temple of God is that the temple of God, the second point is that we are striving for holiness. That as the temple of God, we are striving for 
holiness. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this in verses 21 and 22. In whom, in Jesus, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice those words that Paul uses when he describes the church as the temple of God. It's something that is increasing. There's movement. We grow into the holy temple. We are built together to be the dwelling place for God. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in talking about what it means to be the temple of God, it talks about how we need to be growing in holiness. It says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and show, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. It talks about there in verse 16, this idea that we are the temple of God. And in English, this is just translated, it says that we are, it's a collective, we together are. It's not talking about just you, but we together are the temple of God. And we grow into this holiness, that holiness should be completed in our lives. See, sometimes we, we don't understand these calls of life towards us in holiness because it can be confusing sometimes when we look at the New Testament to see what God teaches about holiness because it seems like he sometimes says one thing and means another. Well, what does it mean that we strive after holiness when I've read these other passages? So what, is, what does the New Testament teach us about what it means to be holy? The first is that it's God who makes us holy. The first is God makes us holy. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That means that who you are is now holy because of what God has done for you. In theologian terms, it's what they would call positional. It's who you are, positional sanctification. You have been made holy by God. That's why when the New Testament talks about Christians, they often call them saints. It's not some special tier for certain people that they get cast upon them long after they've died. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You're a holy one that God has made you. Why? Because God makes us holy. So first is God makes us holy, but then secondly, God tells us that we are to seek after holiness. That we are to seek after holiness in our lives. There are several different passages that we could see where this is true. The first, or one for us tonight is in 1 Thessalonians. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, I love it. it says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. And then Paul goes on this long list of all the things that they are to avoid. Avoid sexual immorality, avoid idol worship, avoid all these different things. Because we have, yes, been positionally sanctified. We've been made right and declared right by God. But in our lives, God calls us still to pursue after holiness. This is what theologians would call progressive sanctification. It's becoming more and more like Jesus in our everyday lives. And so holiness is something that God gives us. It's something that we are to work towards. And yet third, also, holiness is something that God will ultimately complete. God will ultimately is the one who will complete our holiness. We look to the day when he will make us fully holy just as he is. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says this, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So we've been made holy, we're to pursue holiness, and we look forward to the day when Jesus returns and we will all be made fully whole, just how God has created us to be when we were designed. And so we are still, though, in between that time when we await this day, when Jesus comes back, we still in our lives are to strive for holiness together. That each of us should be pursuing holiness individually and collectively. This idea of us being the temple of God, the place where God's presence dwells, should motivate us to personal and to corporate holiness. We see this in scripture, especially for this idea of motivating it to personal holiness. Paul specifically says this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God has set you apart. He's placed his spirit in you. You are now the temple of God, the place in which God's glory dwells. And because of that, you are to seek to live that truth out in your action and your behavior. That because of what God has done in you and he's made you his temple that is to change how we live our lives. But it's not only individual holiness, it's holiness together that also is to be pursued by this idea of being the temple of God. See, if we were to, to sit and have a conversation tonight about the greatest dangers that the church and the world faces... I think most of us, when we would start to think, and myself included, when we start to think of things, we tend to think of things outside these four walls. Maybe we think of, of different things that are happening in our culture or happening this way and in families and all this. But Paul has an interesting perspective in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, when, when he says you in both, in both of those times are in verse 16, that's actually a plural statement. If you're from the South, that's y'all, all right? I'm not from the South. I'm from California, so we don't really have a word for that other than dudes, all right? But do you not know that y'all, all of you all, together are God's temple, and that in all of you together, God's Spirit dwells? 
Get this, he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. See, what Paul is saying is the danger that the Corinthian church faced in terms of their church's holiness wasn't from things outside, but it was from within the temple of God itself. It was from inside the church. As those who were the temple of God together weren't pursuing the holiness that God had called them to that brought such damage to the church that Paul says it's like destroying God's temple. See, in here in the book of Corinth, we see that it's people being boastfully arrogant about their lives. There's an eagerness amongst this church to judge other people and ultimately a dismissive attitude toward sin. And this idea that we together are the temple of God reminds us that while we may have personal sin in our lives, our personal sin always has public consequences towards others. See, we often view sin as just a private thing that we have with God and that it doesn't affect the people around us. It certainly doesn't affect the people sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you. But this passage teaches us that when we are God's temple to strive towards holiness, that our sin actually does damage to not just ourselves, but to the church when it's left dismissive and unaddressed in our lives. There would be people who pursue holiness for our own sake and for the sake of God's church, that together we may be seen as this temple of God that God has made us to be. The third characteristic of the church being the temple of God is that it means that we are to pro be proclaiming God's glory. That first we're built on this solid foundation of Jesus Christ. We're to strive for holiness, both personally and then collectively together. And thirdly, we're to be proclaiming God's glory to the world. See, when you look throughout the Bible, and what it means for God to be with people, to have this idea of the temple. The idea of the temple literally is just God dwelling with people. God dwelt with them. And then actually this idea of God dwelling with mankind goes all the way back to the first chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Where God creates mankind in the garden and God dwells with them. His perfect presence is there with them. But sin enters into the equation in Genesis chapter 3. And that fellowship is broken. That relationship with God is broken because of what mankind has done. But before that, mankind is called to go and fill the earth. To multiply and fill the earth. That doesn't just mean with people, but that means multiply and fill the earth with God's glory. As people who are to represent, to be made in the image of God, to go and fill the earth with God's glory. And then later in the Old Testament, to display God's glory amongst his people, the tabernacle is built. The tabernacle, the tent where God's glory specifically dwells. And then later on, the temple itself is built. And all of the glory and grandeur that it would have been, all the gold, all, all of the special things taken care of to show the significance that it had, that there in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, was the place that God himself dwelt among his people. That's what the temple was all about. God dwells here with us. So it's then shocking that Jesus says he fulfills this. 
In the book of John, John chapter 1 verse 14, talking about Jesus coming, it says this, that the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the same word for tabernacle or what the temple's purpose was, that the glory of God is no longer to be found in a building in Jerusalem, but now it's to be found in one person, and that's in Jesus Christ. That God dwelt with us, and it says this, and we have beheld his glory. And Jesus then passed along this to, the, to us, the church, as the Spirit of God now dwells in us. We are the temple of God because God himself dwells in us. The Spirit of God lives in us who are created and who have loved Jesus Christ and have believed in him. God says that the Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And we are to be expanding this message of proclaiming God's glory to the ends of the earth so that more people will grow into this. Because the vision that God has for the future in Revelation chapter 21, it says, Behold, the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will be their God. And in Revelation 21, it says that there was no temple in that city of heaven, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Throughout scripture, when there's this idea of the purpose of the temple, it was always to be moving further outwards that more people, more could be drawn in to the glory of God himself. It's why when the prophets looked to the future, they looked forward to the day when the temple would be a place of prayer for all nations. That God's glory would have expanded to all the people so that all would come before him. So as the temple of God... Our lives are to be those that proclaim God's glory. See, sharing our faith, telling others about what Jesus has done for us is now part of just who we are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're the temple of God. And because you're the temple of God, that means you get the privilege of proclaiming God's glory to the world because that's your purpose now in life. That God's glory has been given to you in the spirit and it's to be proclaimed to others. Are you being faithful in proclaiming God's glory to the people around you? Is that message sitting with you and it's not leaving in any of your interactions with your friends, with your coworkers, with your family? Or is your life one so filled with God's glory as the Spirit fills you that you overflow so that God's kingdom would grow more as was the purpose of the temple originally so that more people would come and hear about God? I mean, a simple question, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for that they would know God? If you don't have an answer just like that, I would challenge you to start. Have at least two, three, four people who you're regularly praying for. I know for me, I found it amazing that as I pray for people, God suddenly gives me eyes and opportunities to interact with them in ways that I didn't see before. Because I'm praying for them that they would begin to see God's glory in the world and that God would use me to do that. So who are you praying for? Who are you trying to seek to show and share the love of God to? As the temple of God, our lives are to be built on this foundation of Jesus Christ himself. We strive towards holiness. 
That's what it means that we grow into the holiness that God has given us, yet we proclaim God's glory out to the world, wanting to see more and more this message of who God is and the love that's found in Jesus Christ to go out to the ends of the earth. God, we thank you that in Jesus you have made us the temple of God. And there's that amazing truth that we will never understand the full significance of that the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells within us. That you are indeed our God. God, I pray that we would find our identity in you. That these things that the New Testament says that are true of us now would characterize how we see ourselves and how we live our lives as the temple of God as a new creation, as children of God, as ambassadors for Christ, as a royal priesthood. God, may we see ourselves more and more in light of who you have made us to be in Jesus. We thank you for Jesus, for the change he makes in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.